Hello and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you no matter where you are in your journey towards Jesus. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitniles.com. What a joy to be with you during these days. I have been enjoying myself. If you get nothing out of this, know one thing, I'm getting a whole bunch out of this. God's blessing me and I'm, He's teaching me so much. And you, there is life after 70. There is learning after 70. I'm 74 just last week and by George, I'm learning more all the time. There's things I feel I should have known a long time ago, but what an opportunity to be with Pastor Dan. I knew Pastor Dan when he was just an ankle biter. He was just a little guy. He was going to the Marion Church, I think, at the time. And I know his parents, and, and uh, later he came to Bernard College, and I was teaching there, and, and we got to know each other even better. I know his grandmother and his grandfather. You've probably heard sermon illustrations in which he's referred to his grandmother. I want to tell you, they're all true. That woman is an amazing woman. She's in heaven now. I remember one time visiting there. My father was a district superintendent, so he traveled to all these different churches. And she got up one Sunday night, and he's probably told you this, and she said, I believe, she had that kind of German brogue, I believe in the rock and the roll. Jesus is my rock and my name's on the roll. And she sat down. Powerful testimony. I had never heard anybody over the age of 55 that believed in the rock and the roll, but she did. Powerful. And it's good to be with, with Dan and Rhonda. I got a chance to, to uh, meet, with, meet Rhonda when... It, when I was at Bernard, and, and so did he. That's kind of interesting. I think it was, I understand it was in the cafeteria. You know, Dan's kind of a farm boy, just kind of a little backward back then, and he's come a long way. But uh, Rhonda kind of rolled her eyes at him, and he didn't know what to do, so he picked him up and rolled him back. Good to be with Caleb Hoskins. Caleb's father and I went to youth camp together in Nebraska, and Ron's a, a good friend of mine. Ron and Bonnie are wonderful people. I was just with them three weeks ago in Arizona. Godly people. It's good to see God use Ron, the, uh, uh, Caleb the way he is. Caleb and my son Aaron, very close friends. They spent a summer in Hawaii. They said they worked. I think they played a lot, too. They learned how to, to surf and do all that fun stuff. It's good to see Chuck. I watched Chuck and, and uh, Gabby get together in college. That was pretty awesome. Um, that's the thing I have in common of all three of your pastors, uh, with the exception of, of uh, hang on, Pastor Katie. Uh, I got to watch all these couples come together, watch God put the pieces together. So if you're young and you're unmarried, you just talk to them. They can tell you how it works and then give you all the instructions you need. And then to be able to share in, oh, with my good friend Jim Keller and with uh, Gerald Steele, this is just like a, one of those dream come true things. Jim and I went to college together. Jim was a freshman, I was two years older. The reality was he was 10 years more mature than I was as a freshman. One night I went looking for, for someone to pull a prank with and I was walking up and down the halls and I saw this door slightly open, I started to knock, and I looked inside, and they were having a prayer meeting, and there was Jim on the floor, and I'll never forget, I heard him say, oh, God, get a hold of Denny Angbrecht, he needs you. 
Man, I ran from there. I wasn't right with the Lord. I wasn't where I needed to be, and he knew. I don't know how, who told him, but, but he knew. And, and we've had the opportunity to minister together. Gerald was three years older, so he went to school at Bethel with, with my sister. And he was, he was more like this guy I looked up to, but really from a distance. He was a missionary in Brazil, then he was a professor at Fort Wayne Bible College, and then he was pastoring and, and serving as an evangelist. But about five years ago, the three of us got together. We met someplace up around Flint, Michigan. I think that's about where it was. And we just started talking about the, the Holy Spirit. We were just hungry. And we were concerned about our own denomination. And we weren't hearing the messages that we wanted to hear about the Holy Spirit. And so we began to minister to each other. And we began to text. And then we'd Zoom. And, and then all of a sudden, this guy gets us into this gig in Niles, Michigan. How about that, huh? And so here we are. You know, I have to tell you something. I'm, I got convicted last night, Gerald. I gotta, I'll be honest with you. I got convicted when you started to share about your wardrobe. I, I got genuinely convicted about this poor guy from, from hurricane-laced Florida comes up to the northern part, and he has to apologize for his clothing. So, Gerald, come on up here. I went out shopping today. Come on, brother. Come on up here. Yeah, bring that mic. You're going to need this. I did some shopping. I want to expand your wardrobe, brother. I just think it's necessary. I only go to the best place, Dollar General. That's it. And I thought, you know what? This poor guy, all he's got is, oh, you got a tie. Well, listen, there's a brother here in, in this church that, I mean, he said, you know, this business is dressing in black. He said, yeah. I'm going to dress you up with a preacher's tie. Where, well, is, where is this guy? He's probably ducking around. There he is, yes. Well, this will go perfect with that. It's a black sweatshirt. Okay? There we go. And listen, uh, listen, you're in the north. I want to tell you something. That bald head needs to be covered. Oh, man. <laughs> Thank you, you look good. Thank you, I love you. Love you, too. <laughs> oh, I feel so much better. Woo! That's as good as going to... No, it isn't. I was going to say that's as good as going to the altar. But anyway, yeah. Well, let's get into this, folks. Let's get into it. Don't put that on now, please. <laughs> well, I've been sitting two chairs away and I noticed, okay? <laughs> we are living in a fascinating time, folks. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, may you live in interesting times. It's actually a curse. The Chinese put such, historically put such emphasis upon tradition and staying with tradition and honoring tradition. But we are living in a time when there is so much change. There was a book written about 40 years ago called um, Future Shock. And the author of the book says that change is happening so rapidly. For At that time, he said, there has been more inventions made in the last 20 years than the full history of humanity. And I think you could say that and, and apply it to about 2,000, that there have been more inventions and changes in the world that we're living in front since 2000 than there was in all of history up to 2000. Now, that's saying a lot. And you know, old-timers, 
Change is tough sometimes. In Future Shock, the author says, change is like a snowball that's rolling down the hill and everything in front of it just gets caught up in it. And future shock, like culture shock, you go from one culture to another. I mean, you move, and suddenly you don't know the language, you don't know the customs, you don't know the traditions, and so you suffer from culture shock. He says that's what's happening with future shock, and we're seeing so much change. But it's not just change that we're seeing that makes these interesting times. We're seeing division. We're seeing deep division in our country. I heard someone say recently, We've never seen anything like this. And I said, oh, yes, we have. Maybe you weren't alive in 1969, but I was. I remember the, the Vietnam protests. I remember the civil rights movement. I remember Detroit burning 12th Street, everything burning down. I remember riots in Chicago during the 1968 Democratic Convention. I remember Watts burning to the ground in 1965. The late 60s was the most divisive time that I can think of, unless you want to go back 100 years to the Civil War. So we have lived in divisive times before, but we are seeing division entering into the church. And we are seeing division created between Christians. At the same time, and this is the irony, or is it just simply God's timing, we are seeing an incredible move of the Holy Spirit. I just uh, recently was... was uh, sharing with a couple of my former colleagues at, at Bethel University, who had both of them professors, who had traveled down at, in separate uh, occasions to the campus of, of Asbury University. One of them, Keith Kateski, is a graduate of Asbury, so for him it's like going back to his alma mater, and he took some students, and they went down and, and witnessed firsthand what was taking place in what started out as 14 students at the end of chapel coming back to the altar and saying, we need to pray. And as they prayed, God began to hear their pray and began to pour His Spirit out upon them. And they began to text in chapel. They began to text their friends saying, if you want to experience the presence of God, come on back. And the students started coming back, and pretty soon this turned into a revival that went days, weeks, and then people began to move in into Wilbur, and they started to come from all over. This One of the benefits of social media that distinguished the 1970 Asbury revival where students went out, you now had people coming in, students coming in. And at one point, the president, I think very wisely, the president of Asbury University said, we want to incorporate revival into everyday life. So we're going to have a chapel service, and outsiders, we don't want you there because we fill up Hughes Auditorium. We want our kids to experience revival in the classroom. We're not canceling classes. We want them to experience revival in the cafeteria. We want them to experience revival in the residence halls. We want it all over campus. Some people said, well, you're cutting off the rest of us. They said, no, we're just going to move right over here into these churches, all these churches in Wilmore. You can go into them, and they still are. But it's spread to many campuses. And we are seeing great revivals take place, not just in Asbury, not just in North America. In fact, maybe even more so in Africa and in Asia and in South America. There is a great movement of revival. Now, my tendency is probably somewhat similar to your tendency. And that is, if revival's taking place, I want to go there. But I want to tell you something tonight. You don't need 
You don't need to go to Wilmore, Kentucky. You don't need to go to Burlington, North Carolina. You don't need to go to the cold fields of Virginia where revival is taking place. You can experience personal revival. Personal revival. And that's what I want to talk about tonight is personal revival. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to, to uh, Psalm 51. And I'll just be quite honest with you. I, I love the King, New King James translation. I was raised reading the King James. I got confused a lot. But when the New King James came along, after the NIV and all the other ones came along, uh, I'm, just, I'm kind of stuck in the New King James, if, if you'll just bear with me. So I've put it up here for you to, to read. And, and I want to read it to you. I want to share this with you. But i got to find it first. <laughs> psalm 51, probably the next to the 23rd Psalm, probably the second most sought out and read psalm in the Bible. Where are you at, Psalms? Come on, buddy. I know you're in here. You were in here when I came tonight. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide not your face from my sins, and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Do you know what the evidence of revival is? Evangelism. You notice I didn't get one amen. That's not what we think about. When we think revival, we think, man, I get things right with God and it feels good and I get goosebumps and God does some pretty unusual things like snap your mic. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen when you, when you get revived. You know what I find in the book of Acts? When Pentecost came upon those people, they began to witness and the church grew to 2,000, to 3,000, to 5,000. And that's just the men. Scripture says the men. That's 10,000. Let's double that with women, with wives, and probably more. Have you ever seen a church that had more men than women? I haven't. And kids. I mean, that's the, the evidence of revival. That's the purpose of revival, is that God's people with the Holy Spirit poured out upon them, would be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and all the areas of the world. I love to study revival. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, as much as I enjoy being a student of revival, I'd much more like to experience revival. That's my greatest desire. I love to read about the, the Great Awakening in the middle 1700s, Jonathan Edwards, sinner in the hands of an angry God. John Wesley and George Whitfield. Man, those guys could preach. Whitfield would said to Wesley, they were friends. They had a little different 
theological approach, but ultimately they were friends, they were partners. And Whitfield said, John, you got to get out from behind that pulpit. You got to go out to the coal mines. You got to stand there where the people are. He said, you need to preach outdoors. George Whitfield came over to North America and he preached revivals. Benjamin Franklin, who was not a Christ follower, at best he was a deist, but he was a very inquisitive individual. And one time he heard that George Whitfield was going to speak and he heard about these crowds and so he went out there to, to see this whole phenomena. And being the kind of scientist that uh, Franklin was, he began to mark off the distance from where Whitfield was preaching to the point where people could still hear him and it was over 400 yards. That's four football fields away. That's without any electrical amplification. George Whitfield preached powerfully and so did John Wesley. And I love to read about the Second Great Awakening with Charles Finney. And Finney, the, the lawyer who was converted after a three-day battle in his office with the Lord, trying to work this thing out and filled with the Holy Spirit. And it is said that, that Charles Finney led as many as half a million people to the Lord during his lifetime. Now, folks, that's at a time when there was just like 12 or 15 or 20 million people in the whole United States and he was preaching that frequently without social messaging, without television, without radios. And then D.L. Moody comes along at the end of the 19th century. And this man whose grammar was so bad it was almost laughable, he led people to the Lord. He went places where preachers didn't go. And he preached the gospel under the power of the, of the Holy Spirit. The Welsh Revival has always fascinated me. 1904, 1905, Evan Roberts. 21 years old, college dropout, goes back to his church where he was raised, preaches his first message. 18 people there. Revival fell upon them. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. And it began to spread across Wales. Incredible, incredible revival. Led to the Azusa Street revival in this country. And the, and, the, and the list goes on and on. One of my favorites is the Herbides revival. You probably haven't heard of that. Very much, not very many people still remember it. But it took place in 1949 to 1952. The Herbides are islands just off um, Scotland. And I was reading about this. I shared this with, with Jim and Garrett. And, and I, was, uh, I, I noticed that Duncan Campbell was a revivalist that the Lord used in a mighty way. He talks about this. Just, just Google. It's Hebrides. I'm mispronouncing it. It's Hebrides. H-E-B-R-I-D-E-S and, and read about it. What captured my attention about this is when I realized that it began with two elderly women who agreed to meet for prayer in a church that was very spiritually cold with no young people in attendance. And these women would meet twice a week at 10 o'clock at night, and they would pray until 3 or 4 in the morning. And eventually they invited some of the church leaders to join them. And on one occasion, this little group of eight or nine people, prayer warriors that they were, were gripped by the verse that says, I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon dry grounds. And then a young deacon stood up amongst them and he began to read Psalm 24, Who shall ascend the hill of God? Who shall stand in His holy place? He who has 
clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity or sworn deceitfully. And then the brother lifted his hands and he said, Lord, God, are my hands, are they clean? Is my heart pure? And with that, he ended up prostrate on the ground. At that very moment, the conviction of the Holy Spirit gripped the hearts of everyone present that a God-sent revival must always be related to holiness. Always related to holiness. And as I read this story from Duncan Campbell, I found myself asking the same question. Are my hands clean, O Lord? Is my heart pure? The man that God will trust with revival must have clean hands and a pure heart. He must live a life in pursuit of holiness. She must live a life in pursuit of holiness. I entered this into my journal on December 8th as we were beginning to prepare for this time together. I said, Lord, make me that man. Cleanse my heart. Destroy ungodly pride. Eliminate duplicity, deceit in my life. Change me, Lord, please. Transform me into the image of Christ. Cloak me in humility. I surrender, Lord. I'm all yours. I want all you. Sometimes we make the whole business of being filled with the Holy Spirit really complicated. Is it the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Is it entire sanctification? Is it being filled with the Spirit? Is it the fullness of the Spirit? Is it full surrender? And the answer is yes. I don't care what you call it. The Lord is smart enough to know what you need to do when you say, I'm all yours, Lord. I surrender. I personally like the Spirit-controlled life because that puts God in control. Okay. A.W. Tozier. A.W. Tozier. I love A.W. Tozier. I love to read A.W. Tozier. I've listened to some of his, term, his sermons. They, they taped him years ago. Of course, he's long gone. He was born in 1897 in western Pennsylvania in the coal fields where his father worked. And at the age of 15, his father moved the family to Akron, Ohio. And uh, A.W. Tozier went to work in a tire factory. And at the age of 17, he was walking home from work one night from the tire factory, and he overheard, he overheard a street preacher preaching. And the street preacher said, all that one needed to do to be saved was to call on the Lord and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that night, Tozier gave his heart to the Lord, prayed that simple prayer, and it turned his life completely around. He had a huge impact during his lifetime in the 30s, 40s, 50s, even into the 1960s, until his death. But I stumbled across something from Tozier about 30 years ago that I've always kept. And it's called a formula for personal revival. Experiencing personal revival. And Tozier said there's 10 steps. And you say, this is going to be a really long sermon. No, I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. If you're taking notes, be quick with it, okay? But this is, and this is so practical and it's so good and it's so biblical, it's so powerful. Step number one is get thoroughly dissatisfied with yourself. 
If you've ever gone on a diet before, you know the best way to start is to stand in front of a mirror, probably with not very many clothes on, take a look, and just say, that's disgusting. <laughs> and when you get to that point, when I get to that point, I've been there, you got the motivation. You have to get thoroughly dissatisfied with yourself. Complacency is the deadly enemy of spiritual progress. The contented soul is a stagnant soul. So that's step number one. Get thoroughly dissatisfied with yourself. Step number two. Set your face toward a sweeping transformation of your life. We must throw our whole desire, our whole soul into a desire for God. Anything less than 100% won't do. We've been watching the March Madness and I listen to these interviews with these guys and, and it's amazing. Women or men, I love that Clark gal from Iowa. I hate her, but I love her. She keeps beating my Nebraska Cornhuskers really bad, but she's so good. And then I hear the stories and I look at her. Did you see her the other night in that game? Her knees were nothing but bruises. Bruises from diving on the floor all the time. Folks, if we had that much wear and tear on our knees in prayer, we would experience revival. Personal revival. That's what it takes. Throw your whole soul into your, your desire for God. Step number three, put yourself in the way of blessings. What does that mean? To desire revival and at the same time to neglect prayer and devotion is to wish one way and walk another way. It don't work. Excuse me, that's bad English. It doesn't work. We have to put yourself, every one of us, in the way of God's blessing to be and live exactly as you need to. Fourthly, and I think this might be the most important, for me anyway, of all ten of these steps, is do a thorough job of repenting. A thorough job of repenting. I remember as a kid going to a camp in South Dakota, Mitchell, South Dakota, the Mitchell Holiness Camp, South Dakota Holiness Camp. You ever go there, Dan? Oh, it's probably closed by the time you came along. But my dad was the, was the president of the South Dakota Holiness Association, so we went to that camp as well as to the missionary church camp in Weeping Water. Couldn't get enough camp. And I remember a, a, a preacher by the name of Jimmy Lentz. Jimmy Lentz could preach. Man, back in the real Midwest, that's clear out there, that's that's Nebraska, South Dakota, Kansas. That's the Midwest. You look at it, it's in the middle of the country. He was known for shucking corn. I mean, when he got up, he preached, and he always plowed close to the fence. Man, he'd get right on your toes when he preached. And I remember him giving an illustration. It's amazing, because I was only 11 years old, but I still remember this illustration about a woman one night at a meeting that he was at in a church who he gave an invitation, and she came down. She was kind of sauntered down to the altar, kind of knelt down, just sat there on the floor, had her hands behind her back looking forward. Eventually, when people came up, nobody came over. So he went over to her and he said, ma'am, he said, uh, what do you desire tonight? She said, oh, I'm not sure. It's okay. He said, uh, would you like me to pray for you? Well, that'd be okay. He said, ma'am, how about I pray and you talk to God and tell him what your need is? 
And she looked at him chewing that bubble gum just going 90 miles an hour and she said, okie dokie. And there's a whole bunch of okie dokie religion out there, folks. There's a whole bunch of people when it comes to repentance. They want the benefit without the repentance. Let me tell you, repentance means you're headed this way, you're going to go this way. You're going to confess. You're going to do a thorough job. You're not going to be satisfied with anything less than the real deal, getting on your face before God and say, I repent. Several years ago, I was in Romania with uh, some friends of mine who had gotten out of Romania when it was under a communist dictatorship by the name of Ceausescu, and he persecuted Christians in a horrible way. And we went into to Herculana, Romania. He, they said, we want you to help with a conference we're going to do for pastors. These were pastors that had had no formal education, no formal preparation for the ministry. They just loved Jesus. That's pretty good education right there. And they said, would you do something with youth ministry? They don't understand youth ministry. And I thought, oh, man, youth ministry. I mean, that's a subculture in itself, Chuck. That's a subculture that I have trouble understanding. But I went back and I found this, I can't remember her name, but she was a writer of youth ministry in the 1940s, and everything that she said applied to every culture. You know, changing bodies, trying to find personal identity. So I shared this with these guys. Well, one of the guys came up to me and he said, uh, he was in the Russian army. This guy was in the Russian army, and he was from Moldova, and Moldova's right next to Romania, which is right next to the Ukraine and Russia, and a lot of the Moldavians are Romanian, ethnic Romanians. And he went in right after the fall of communism. And he and a friend of his went into this little village. Now, they had heard that Radio Free Europe had been broadcasting signals into communist territories and that people with ham radios were listening to the gospel and getting saved. That was what was kind of sneaking out. And so they went around this village. Now there's no, no more worry about being persecuted by communists because the communist government had fallen all over the place. I love it in Romania. Ceausescu was the only communist dictator to be overthrown by a prayer meeting. Right there in the square in Timisoara. People just dropped to their knees as the, as the police were firing on them, killing them. They dropped to their knees and pretty soon the police put their guns down and dropped to their knees and received Christ. And, and that was the overthrow of, of what was the end of Ceausescu and his wife. They ended up with lead poisoning someplace in this area of the body, I think. But anyway... These guys went into Moldova, and they went into this village, and they walked around, and they said, hey, do you know where the Christians meet? And the people, understand, they've been under communist dictatorship for 75 years, and they said, what's a Christian? Well, those are people that follow Christ. Who's Christ? And they just kept going around, and they finally found someone, and this person said, oh, you mean the repenters. I love it. Christians were identified as people who were headed this way that had turned around and repented. And let me tell you something. Repentance is not a one-time thing. It is the entry to salvation. We understand that. But I am a repenter. I want a heart of contrition. I pray God keep a heart of contrition upon me. We generally think of that word contrition as someone who is unsaved coming to faith in Christ. Let me tell you, Christians, we are repenters if we're going to grow. 
We are repenters if we're going to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not an attempt to place a guilty conscience on everybody. That's not my intent. My intent is to have a tender heart, to have a heart that is pure and hands that are clean. Step number five, and I need to go quickly here. We're getting away with here, but make restitution wherever possible. If you owe a debt, pay it. If you have quarreled with anyone, go as far as you possibly can to achieve reconciliation. Reconciliation involves, always involves two parties or more. One person cannot be reconciled. You have to have two parties. And sometimes the other party will not allow that to take place. You've got to move on. But as much as you can, seek reconciliation. As fully as possible, make the crooked path straight. If I stood up here and told you about everything that I had to do at the age of 23 as a prodigal when I came back to the Lord, you'd say, man, that guy was a naughty boy. I had a lot of stuff to return. I had a lot of apologies to make. Man, one of them was to Norman Bridges. Norman Bridges was the dean of students when I was at Bethel College. And bless his heart, I love the man. He was about five foot two, and, and that was stretching it. Don't you think, Mike? That might have been stretching it. He was short, and I was about six feet tall back in those days, and I thought I had all the answers. And he was a very young dean of students, 27 years old at the time. And man, we just butted heads. He was one of the, the very first person that I had to write a letter to when I came back to, to Christ. He was no longer at Bethel. He was at uh, Haviland Christian College out in Kansas. And he wrote back the, the most wonderful, gratifying letter that I think I've ever received. He said, you don't know how much this means to me. I just had to seek somebody else's forgiveness, Dennis. You are forgiven. And by the way, you never were nearly as much trouble as you thought you were. <laughs> a little lack of self-awareness there, folks. Step number six, bring your life into accord with the Scripture. The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, other such New Testament Scriptures are designed to instruct us the way of righteousness. An honest man with an open Bible and a pad and a pencil is sure to find out what's wrong with himself quickly. Bring yourself into accord with the Scriptures. Number seven, be serious-minded. Now, A.W. <laughs> Tozer dates himself a little bit. He says, stop going to the circus. Don't be going to the moving picture show. But you know what? I think he was on to something. In fact, I think he was about, man, maybe 70 or 80 years ahead of his time. I don't know that there's ever been a culture that is so focused on entertainment as American culture is. And sadly, folks, it's crept into the church. I'm convinced that just about anybody who can entertain people can grow a church. It's not really a church, but they can get a lot of people there. We don't come to be entertained. We come to be challenged. We come to grow. We come to dig into the Word. Expositional preaching is at a premium this day, and yet there's not many people that are seeking that. So I think his instructions are very appropriate for today. Be serious-minded. Number eight, narrow your interest. Too many projects use up time and energy without bringing us nearer to God. Open the doors of your heart to Christ and close it again to the world. And let me take off on another tantrum. We are busy people. I think maybe the greatest sin today by Christians is the sin of busyness. Busyness. 
And when we get that committed to so many different projects and so many different things, well, it's kind of like my dad when we were out painting cabins at, at, at camp. That was one of my dreaded projects in the summer. He'd say, come on, we're going to paint these cabins white. They're all going to be white. And I'd be painting. He'd say, son, don't spread the paint too thin or what's underneath it will show through. That's good instruction for life. Don't spread the paint too thin or it'll show through. Busyness. Now, if, if you don't think that's true, just go find some youth pastor somewhere who's trying to plan a weekend retreat. And he's got to compete with the public school. He's got to compete with AAU. He's got to compete with uh, social messaging. He's got to compete with a whole bunch of things to get their attention. The next generation is even more into busyness. And this is something that it creates a, an incredible neglect of quiet time with the Lord. It creates a complete neglect of one of the most important spiritual disciplines, solitude. It, it creates the in, unwillingness to hear the gentle voice of God speaking to our hearts. What are we at now? Number nine, begin to witness. Find something to do for God and your fellow man. Make yourself available. Do anything you are asked to do. Now, that almost seems to contradict the whole busyness thing. Be smart about it. But if there's an opportunity to serve, do so. We're so afraid in witnessing that we might offend someone. Do you know Jesus offended someone? Lots of folks. Now, you don't have to be obnoxious. Don't be obnoxious. You don't, that's not necessary. And by the way, if you're going to witness to the waitress, please leave her a nice tip. Would you please? And I'm okay with that. Oftentimes, several times, I'll be with someone, we're getting ready to pray, and the waitress come over, and I'm just, I might just say, hey, we're getting ready to pray. Uh, is there anything we can pray about for you? And some people don't like that. But I've never had a, wait, a, a waitress say, no, I'm fine, I'm good. One time I had a waitress who, who, who just kind of unpacked all the stuff she was into. Man, I mean, we could have had an all-night prayer meeting in that restaurant. If you're going to witness in those situations, you followed up with a good tip. And finally, number 10, have faith in God. Begin to expect, look up toward the throne. All heaven is on your side. God will not disappoint you. You can lean into Him. He's not going to pull the chair out from under you. Have faith in God. I want to close with this. It was the spring of 1986. We were living in Oskaloosa, Iowa at the time. It, I was still at Bernard College, headed to, to, uh, to Bethel, but... We were still there. Actually, the call came in January. It was a pastor in Blakesburg, Iowa, about 30 miles south of a small, small United Methodist church. And he said, I've been praying. And he said, the Lord brought your name to mind, and I want you to come and speak at our church. I said, what are you thinking? He said, a Friday through Saturday, sometime in March or April. 
I looked at my calendar and I said, sir, the sin of business has had overcome me. I said, I don't have a weekend open during that time. He said, that can't be. He said, I've prayed about this. And I said, the only weekend I've got open is Easter weekend. You don't want to hold revival over Easter. Who ever thought of holding revival over Easter? And he said, I'll take it. Friday, good Friday, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, come on down. Well, I was overcommitted. I, I confess I was overcommitted. Earlier in that week, I flew up to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan in Canada. And I was part of an American Association of Bible College accrediting team. I had agreed to do this. It's one of those things you do when you're in academia. And there was a little school, Bethany Bible at Hepburn, Saskatchewan, and they were seeking accreditation. So you go through these interview process. Yep. For about three days, Monday through Wednesday, catch a flight out Thursday morning, be home Thursday night, get ready, make sure I got all my guns loaded, go on Sunday or on Friday. Well, then something happened that happens on the prairies of Canada sometimes in the spring. They had one whale of a blizzard. I mean, it was a whiteout blizzard, 18 inches of snow, drifts four to five feet. And that was on Wednesday night. Thursday morning, all flights were canceled out of Saskatoon. All three of them. And uh, I was, I just kept calling the airport, kept calling the airport. Friday morning, I woke up, couldn't get out, called a friend of mine, Ron Wilson. I said, Ron, you got to go down to Blakesburg and start this revival on Friday night. Tell the pastor I'm stuck. I'll try to get out as soon as I can. I finally did, got out on on Friday night, there was a flight over to Toronto, down to Detroit, over to Chicago, and into Des Moines. And I finally got in to Des Moines on Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock, drove an hour, got home at 5 o'clock, ran in the house, took a shower, grabbed a bite to eat, kissed my wife, and headed down the road to Blakesburg, Iowa. As I pulled up in the parking lot of the church, 15 minutes before church was to start, I saw there was a whole bunch of cars out. And I thought, wow. And I'm tired. I haven't slept since Thursday. I missed all of Friday night trying to figure out how I was going to get out of there. I'm tired. But I, well, these people here, they'll keep me awake. And I walk into the church, and there's nobody sitting in the pews. Up in front, coming out the stairs from the basement, were two men. Now, please be gracious with me as I describe them, okay? Please be gracious, and there's a point to this. The first man was a man who was wearing a suit that should have been worn by someone twice his size. It was real baggy. I could see his belt hanging down. And it, he had, you could tell he had just kept clinching. He had, must have lost a lot of weight or just had a bad fit. And the guy behind him was vertically challenged. He was a little man, about four feet tall. The first man was the pastor, the second man was the worship leader and youth pastor. And the pastor said to me, oh, you're here, praise God, we've been waiting for you. That's great. And I said, I'm glad to be here. I said, there's plenty of people here, must be downstairs praying. He said, oh, no, 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 those guys are all over at the, the VFW, it's bingo night, you know, it's, they're over there playing bingo. He said, our people will be here, don't worry, they'll be here. Go up and sit in the front pew and wait. So I did. I went up and sat in the front pew. My greatest challenge was staying awake during that time. I was so tired. 
Pretty soon he came, tapped me on the shoulder, he said, come on, let's go on up. We went on up, I looked out, and immediately, this is a, a gift from the Lord, I can count people that fast, there were 17 people there. Now my dad always told me, he said, doesn't make any difference how many cows come in for milk, and eventually they'll all get there, dump the whole load on them, okay? So I thought, I'm going to dump the whole load on them. And I did. I preached my heart out, gave an invitation, nobody came. Walked down at the end of the service, went to the back, shook every hand of every person there. Pastor turned to me and he said, good job. He said, I'll tell you what though, you're tired. Why don't you just sleep in tomorrow morning, Easter Sunday, go to church with your wife and kids. I'll cover the service tomorrow. You come back tomorrow night with your best sermon. I just got fired in the middle of revival service. <laughs> I'd never been fired before. I got in my car, went home. I thought, what an idiot. Why did I take these services? Why did I ever consider this? God, I don't know what you're trying to do here. Went to church next morning with my wife, got a good night's rest, and our two boys went to church. And then that afternoon I sat down, and I thought, this, this place isn't ready for revival. They just need some encouragement. So I prepared a sermon of encouragement, of comfort. Went back to the church. Same cars parked out in front of the church. Must have been one bingo crazy town. But when I walked in the church, it was filled. There were 60 people. Now, 60 people would have filled that little Methodist church, and there were probably 60 people there. Pastor came up. He said, hey, we had a great service this morning. As if we had a horrible one last night. We had a great service this morning, looking forward. And I remember getting up there in the pulpit and preaching, and somewhere in between the introduction and the end, the Holy Spirit took over, and I had to kind of step aside and let him preach. I hadn't planned to give an invitation that night. But I did, and the first one down the aisle was a great big strapping Iowa farm boy, about 6'4", and when he got to the altar, he didn't kneel, he collapsed. He just draped himself over that altar and began to sob. And when that happened, the whole place moved forward. Folks, they weren't coming up to pray with him. They were coming up to seek what he was seeking. And I looked out at that audience, and there was one person left, this little old lady, and she, was, she had a white handkerchief, and she was whew, wiping the tears away. And then every once in a while, she'd wave it at me as if to say, keep going. There were no altar counselors. There was a preacher up here who started at one end, that was me, and just kind of worked my way down and prayed with everyone. And I remember when I got to the final person, it was the pastor's daughter, and I heard her say, she was 15 years old, she said, Daddy, I'm pregnant and I don't know who the father is. And I learned later that that pastor's wife had left him a year earlier. And the reason he was wearing his baggy suit, because he couldn't afford another one, and he had lost 100 pounds, not because he was on any diet, because he was grieving the loss of his wife. And he was trying, not very successfully, to raise his 15-year-old daughter. He wrapped his arms around her. He pulled her in close. He said, honey, we're going to make it through this. I don't know how, but we're going to make it through this. I love you, and Jesus loves you. That's probably the best message I'd heard in the last three days. We got all done and everybody kind of sat down back in the pews and I said, well, I'd love to hear what God's done. Man, there was 59 people. There were 59 testimonies. The first one was the big strap in Iowa farm boy. And he said, I learned 
the other morning that I'm going to lose my farm. This farm's been in the family for four generations. This was agriculturally, economically depleted Iowa in 1986. Lots of people were losing their farm. And he said, I decided I couldn't do that. I wouldn't live with that. So he said, I put a, I put a shell in my 12-gauge shotgun, and I leaned it up against the corner, and I came to church tonight, and I decided if God doesn't do something, I'm going to end my life. And then he said this. I'm losing the farm, but I'm gaining my soul for eternity. And I mean, there was some shouting going on. We went down the line. Everybody gave a testimony. Here was the little man preacher, the youth pastor, and this, this youth group. There were four guys and two girls there. And they were, they were standing up giving testimony. And he was just waving his hand. I found out later they hadn't been to church in three months. He hadn't had a youth group in three months. And even then, he only had two or three. We got all done, and I looked up the clock, and it's 10 o'clock, and I said, folks, it's getting late. I said, oh, you probably need to get home <laughs> so you can get up early and feed those cows. They said, can we sing some of these old songs we haven't sung for years in the Methodist hymnal? And the little old lady that was waving a handkerchief, she came up and got behind the piano, and she wasn't real good, but she was good enough. <laughs> and they began to sing old hymns. Oh, great old hymns. And we sang until 11 o'clock. At 11 o'clock, I looked up and I said, is there anybody else who has anything to say? And they said, glory. Thank you, Jesus. I walked out the door. The little man came up to me and gave me a hug around my waist. The baggy pants preacher came up, threw his arms around my neck, said, I love you, brother. Thank you. We've needed this and I knew you were the man. I went out. And I got in a car, and as I'm driving away, it was as if the Holy Spirit, who'd been relegated to the back seat, crawled over into the front seat and said, let me tell you something, Engbrecht. Don't you ever question who I choose to use as my servants. It's not about the flesh. It's about my spirit. Praise God. Now, folks, we're going to end this a little different tonight. Because I believe there are some people here tonight that want to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Oh, not just the goosebumps. I'm talking about living under the control of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads before the musicians even come up. If you're here tonight and you say, I need personal revival. I need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to do something really hard. And that's just to stand up right where you're at. And by doing so, I want to pray with you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, these are people that don't want to play games. These are people who want the fullness, the complete control of your Holy Spirit of their lives. Now, if you're seated by someone who's standing, I want you just to stand up and lay hands on them. There's a lot of people standing, but 
There's a lot of people sitting around that can lay hands on them. Would you like you to do that, would you? Just find somebody that's standing, lay hands on them. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. When we were praying for this, I shared with these guys that this old song of invitation kept coming to my mind. And Brother Dan has repeated it a couple of times. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. And that's been my prayer. Lord, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to a, to a church and preach about holiness and being filled with the Holy Spirit without you doing that for me, Lord. So pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. I'm going to ask those of you who are laying hands on them to just begin to pray for them. You know how to pray. Pray for them. Chuck's going to sing. We're going to sing that old song of invitation. And you can join in. But let's take this time of full surrender. Don't, don't leave until you're done, please. Don't leave until you're done. Let God get finished with you, okay? Or I should say, let God get finished starting with you because there's a whole bunch more to come. Thank you, Jesus. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Thank you, Jesus. doesn't have to be any more complicated than it is. There is a prayer that every person standing who wants to experience the fullness and the control of the Holy Spirit needs to pray. And it's that very prayer that Chuck just sang. I surrender all. Do not pass by me. I surrender all. Everything is yours, Lord. I give it all to you. Jim Deal used to preach about a guy that came to the altar by the name of Chivaldecker. Chivaldecker came down to the altar and as he knelt at the altar, Jim Deal watched him, great evangelist in the Church of the Nazarene. Chivaldecker took his billfold out. He laid down one credit card on the altar prayed a while and then he laid down another credit card on the altar then he took the cash out of his billfold and he laid it on the altar and finally after he just about emptied his billfold he pulled out his driver's license which had his name and all of his information and he laid that on the altar 
And that's what God is asking every one of us to do tonight. Lay your all on the altar. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, brethren, present yourself as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. It's a reasonable act of service. He's speaking to believers. Paul's preaching to believers. He's writing to believers from prison in Rome. And he's saying, present yourself living sacrifices. The thing about living sacrifices is that they can crawl off the altar, folks. So just keep doing it every day. I can't begin a day without praying that prayer. Lord, I surrender to you. I'm yours. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not worried about losing something. I'm worried only about experiencing the ongoing fullness of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your presence here tonight. Thank you for the work that you are doing in lives in this church, Lord. I, I agree with my brother, Gerald, who says, I don't think it's just this church. I think this church could be a catalyst for revival in the missionary church across our denomination, across this state, across Indiana. I really believe it, folks, but it's going to require that we have surrendered lives. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your holy name. Praise your holy name. I want us all to stand now, if you would, please. And we're going to sing. Sing another verse of that, or two, or three. Let me at a throne of mercy find a sweet relief. Kneeling there in deep contrition, help my unbelief. Oh,
21 bars over from the east end of the altar. The sophomore in high school, sophomore in college. God had called me to ministry the year before. that number of bars over where I knelt down and I gave my all to Jesus Christ. On that night, I didn't get in one sense any more of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit got all of me. When I got up from that place, I marked it. I reached in my pocket. I had a little dime. Didn't have much more to my name. And I carved a notch in that bar, in that altar. There have been a lot of times after that I went back to that spot where I knew that God had dealt with me. And I had dealt with God. I could never have done the things that God called me to do after that in my life without having that experience of laying it all on the altar. And my guess is that there may be some tonight who would say, by the way, do you know that almost everyone had left the service? But I knew that if I got up from that spot, I may never have another opportunity like that. And I knew God was speaking to me. And so, maybe different than in some previous evenings. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray a benediction, a blessing over you. And then if there's someone tonight who says, you know, I think there may be some unfinished business between me and and God. Jesus has been talking to me. I need to do a better job of repenting. I need to do a more thorough job of repenting. Maybe tonight you're saying, "I I need I need to lay some more of myself on the altar, make room for the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm just going to allow you to come and, and to kneel here and pray, and some people can pray with you. But I'm going to encourage you not to leave tonight unless and until you know that all the things that God intended to do in your heart and your life when you first thought about that question I asked you when, when we started, what does God want to do in your heart and your life? That he's done, you've allowed him to do that thorough work in your life, okay? 
So in a moment, I'm going to pray and I'm going to dismiss you and, and you can go and there, there will be people here and we'll just tarry. Um, we'll just be here and the Lord um, and you and us, we can do business with him. Okay, that's what I have for you. So Lord, you have, you have heard our cry tonight. That we don't want you to pass by us. We want you to do your work in our life. You want, we want you to do everything that you want to in us. We want, oh God, your spirit to be poured out on us. And, and we ask, Lord, in these moments that you would just lead us in that. Lord, there are people that are free to go and they'll, they'll be dismissed and they'll go with the joy of the Lord in their heart and they'll know um, your grace is carrying them on and, 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 and you're going to lead them. They'll go out become the church in the world. There may be others, even if it's just one. Someone whom you're... On their hearts, Lord, you're laying a burden that they need to lay down at this altar. They'll have time to meet with you. So, Lord, um, bless those that leave this evening with your grace and your mercy, power of your spirit. Bless those that stay just simply want to wait on you. And Lord, thank you for great salvation. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you for the joy that we have in Christ. Thank you, God, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Thank you, O oh God, that you are a good Father who gives good gifts to your children, and that by the power of your Spirit, you fill us, you anoint us for all that you've called us to do and be. And we can walk with you in confidence. So, as we leave tonight, Lord, we go in your name, we go in your, by the power of your Spirit. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to share the love of Christ as you leave this evening. As God has poured out his goodness in your heart, share the joy of the Lord. Tomorrow night at 6.30, we'll be back here. And we're looking forward to a time of celebrating God's goodness and his grace, seeking the Holy Spirit together. I'm going to dismiss you now. You're free to go. And those who want to are free to stay. Amen? You are dismissed. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.